Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. And on today's show, we are going to check in with Taylor Trammell, who was just traded for a second consecutive season at the trade deadline. We'll talk to him. Uh, we ranked MLB's farm systems recently. We're going to look at those, uh, as well as uh, Jim took a look at the most improved farm systems over the past year or so. We'll talk about that a little bit. We're going to look at the hottest rookies of the past week. There are several new names on that list. Uh, we're also going to look at some top 100 debuts. Key Brian Hayes, Jazz Chisholm, Luis Campisano, Clark Schmidt all made their debuts over the past week. Uh, Jonathan had a great opportunity to talk to uh, five different black MLB scouts in a roundtable setting. Uh, it was a very, very informative and interesting conversation. We'll talk about that. Uh, the Perfect Game All-American Classic just happened. Uh, Jonathan will take a look at some of the top performers from there. Jim, Jonathan, let's jump right into the farm system rankings. This is always one of the uh, bigger stories that we do uh, any given year. We rank the farm systems at the beginning of the season, heading into the season uh, in, what, January, February? I guess February it is. And then we do a mid-season re-rank, which usually happens right at the trade deadline, right after the trade deadline at July 31st, this year, a month later. Um, I know it was a kind of a different year this year in terms of ranking them, uh, but the team at the top remains the same, but there are some new interesting teams in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, you know, as we said, I mean, you know, we can add this to the list of several things that is, that, that are much different this year. You know, usually when we do the midseason rankings, the lists are a lot different because you've had players get promoted and graduate and get better or worse or hurt or come out of nowhere. And this year it's been pretty much a handful of graduations and the draft. And, and that's about it. We didn't, we didn't have July 2 guys. But, I mean, Jonathan, when we were doing this, you know, as Jason alluded, the same number one team. I mean, I thought the Rays were a, were a pretty easy choice at, at number one. I mean, they kind of have everything that you that you want. I mean, they have the best prospect in baseball in, in Wander Franco. They've got guys up and down the top 100. They've got, you know, I think about as good a depth as just about anybody, um, you know, in the you know peak behind the curtain. 
I think they've got three or four more guys. If we did a top 125, that would be on that. Um, they've, they've got hitters. They've got pitchers. Uh, it was a pretty easy call for me. Was it an easy call for you to rank the oh, race? Yeah, with, 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 without question, especially since so much of this was static, you know, as we've talked about, even with, you know, re-ranking the top 100 and the top 30s and just slotting in the draft guys, this was a system that was the top system. The only thing we know is that Brendan McKay is hurt. Uh, you know, and everyone else, we, you know, is sort of frozen in, in time in, in, in a certain respect. Plus, they added Nick Bitsko, who was arguably the the high school arm with the most upside in, in this draft class. And to, to get him later in the first round, uh, and they added Alika Williams, so it, it adds to their depth. And, you know, when we put these rankings together, it's not just who has the most top 100 guys or who has, you know, the the most elite talent it's a combination of impact guys and depth and i don't think anyone matches the rays on both of those fronts you know there there are some teams that maybe come come close in terms of top 100 prospects or impact guys but they they don't go as as deep and uh, you know mike rosenbaum uh, our third musketeer does does the rays list now and I guarantee you he could come on and say that he could probably go 40 deep easily with this with this system. There is a lot of talent. So after the Rays on the list, the Tigers come in at number two and Detroit uh, continuing with their trajectory, moving up the list. Uh, if you go back to 2018, at the time we only ranked the top 10 farm systems and they were not ranked. Um and really, in a few years preceding that, they had been toward the bottom. And I think if, if we had ranked the farm systems, been uh, likely in the, in the bottom third. But uh, since they entered into rebuild mode in the 2019 preseason, they were 10th. They moved up to number six in our midseason ranking last year up to uh, they were sixth then and then fifth at the beginning of this season and now up to number two. I mean, this is, you know, when, when you pick at, at or near the top of the draft multiple years in a row, this is what is supposed to happen. I mean, this is, the draft is supposed to do this. And I think that the Tigers have have done well uh, in terms of, of being able to do this. You know, getting Casey Mize and Spencer Torkelson certainly helps. Uh, but, you know, they also got Riley Green, uh, you know, not picking at the very top. And, and Riley Green may end up being the best player from that draft class when all is said and done based on what, uh, we've heard and how he's looked so far. Uh, you know, Matt Manning was a top 10 pick. And then they also went and rolled the dice with a guy like Tarek Skubal. Um, you know, it, it's much deeper than it that used to be. You know, we hear often from Tigers fans wanting to know why Isaac Paredes isn't on the top 100 and he's not, but he's a, a quality prospect. And, uh, you know, so they've done what they're supposed to do when when picking you know at or close to the top of the draft, and, and not only pick the right guy, you know, although we've yet to see Spencer Torkelson play baseball, uh, but you know, even guys like Matt Manning and Riley Green, where they went for the high upside high school guy as opposed to the college guy who might get to the big leagues faster, uh, I think they they've managed to find guys with upside who who may outshine players who were taken ahead of them in the top ten. The thing that's interesting to me about the Tigers, too, is, you know, when I was at Baseball America, I started there in 1989, and, and Alan Simpson had started ranking farm systems back in 1984. And in all my time at Baseball America, 
and even you know since i've been at mlb pipeline like usually to they'd not ranked in the top 10 before the recent surge except for one year <laughs> one year out of from from 1984 to, to 2019 they had a top 10 farm system and that was in 1998 and in retrospect we might have been a little bullish on them because they had uh Juan Encarnacion, Francisco Cordero, and Matt Anderson didn't exactly lead the Tigers to uh, glory. They were the top three prospects back then. But the Tigers, at least since I've been ranking farm systems, probably have had the worst collection of farm systems of any team. And I think if you were to look at last decade before this resurgence, you know, I'm just looking at Baseball America when I was there. Starting in 2008, they ranked 27th, 28th, 27th, 25th, and so on. 30th in 2015. I mean, this is a team that that has never, uh, you know, in, you know, I guess the modern era of prospect coverage really had good farm systems. And this is far and away their, their best farm system. I know they've kind of pseudo contended this year, but I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, with all this pitching that Jonathan talked about and, you know, Torkelson and they, and they stocked up on hitters in the draft and Riley Green looks good. I mean, this could be a really good, Tigers team in a couple of years. I mean, I think this could be the team, but it could be the White Sox and Tigers battling for AL Central supremacy starting in a couple of years. And you look at the the rest of the top of this list, a lot of these teams kind of fit that same bill in that they, you know, went all in on the rebuild, loaded up on prospects, and now some of those teams are there. The Padres are still third on this list and uh you know the white Sox are sixth and these are teams that you know started the rebuild uh within the past few years and now they're at that point that they hoped they would be when they started uh, a couple other teams on the list that are i think a little earlier along in that process the mariners are number four uh, marlins are number five uh, guys i think interestingly with the padres Still third on this list, and if you look back over the past, uh, I guess we've we've ranked farm systems going back to 2015 now twice a year. Uh, so this would be the twelfth ranking that we've done, and the, the Padres have been uh, the best farm system. If you look at where they've ranked on all these lists, uh, you could make an argument that they've been the best farm system over the course of that time. The Dodgers had been on every top 10 list up until this one. Uh, a couple notable teams that have been mainstays on these lists that dropped out of the top 10 this year in the Dodgers and the Braves um, as they both fell out of the top 10, the Dodgers at 11 and the Braves at 15. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes to show that it, it's, it's, it's very difficult to both win at the big league level and have a, a top 10 caliber farm system. The Dodgers have done an excellent job of it. They've slipped slightly because, I mean, we talked about how guys haven't graduated this year. Well, this year, the Dodgers have graduated Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Dennis Santana, and Edwin Rios. And just because these are such a snapshot in time, if we were to re-rank the farm systems today, because Luis Robert graduated when we did this list, or had not graduated, but has since, the Dodgers might sneak back into the top 10. And I mean, the Braves combined winning and building a farm system better than anybody when they were winning all those division titles. They were the one constant in our in our Baseball America top 10 organization rankings we're doing back then. But it's, it, it's tough because if you're winning, one, 
you're often trading prospects to get team players to help your big league club. You're not necessarily breaking in as many or holding on to them. You're drafting lower. You have less international bonus pool money. Um, you may even have some cases where guys stagnate a little bit because there is an opportunity at the big league level. So it, it's very difficult to win at the big league level and have a, a consistently strong farm system because it's just not the way baseball set up now with the way the draft and international is. You, it's not like it was a decade ago where you could spend what you wanted. And if, you know, the, the Red Sox always were a team that came to mind that they were the one big market team that also invested very heavily in the draft. Well, now if you win at the big leagues, you can't invest heavily in the draft with the way the bonus pool system is set up. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting about those teams that managed to stay in those, in those positions, which is hard, the fact that the Dodgers were, you know, top 10 for so long and are always competitive, uh, I think it kind of mirrors almost like what the Padres did this year uh, in terms of their willingness to make trades and trade from their depth, but keeping the the real impact guys. You know, the, the Dodgers resisted any temptation to trade Dustin May or Gavin Lux, uh, you know, uh, last year and this year. And so that's why they've managed to stay. The, the Braves, you know, have slipped mostly because they traded from their depth. So they thinned out and their elite level guys have graduated. Uh, there's still some more Christian Pache, you know, has touched the big leagues now. And Drew Waters is, you know, close. And Ian Anderson has shown what he can do over his first couple of starts. But you know, the, the, those teams' ability to hold on to the, their top guys uh, have enabled them to stay in the top half of this list, I think, even if, you know, the Dodgers and Braves have slid a little bit because some of those guys have graduated. You know, Dustin May graduated. Gavin Lux will graduate soon. Uh, you know, same with the the White Sox. A lot of those guys, you mentioned Luis Robert. Uh, you know, so I think those, those teams that manage to sort of do both and are the ones that, use the depth to improve their big league team without completely stripping the, the cupboard bare of their farm system. So in addition to the farm system rankings, uh, we put together a list, Jim, you put together a list of the most improved farm systems. And we took it back and, and looked at it since the beginning of 2019. And the teams on that list, the Marlins, Orioles, Royals, Mariners, Giants and D-backs. Yeah, and it's interesting because the Marlins, you know, two, three years ago were in the running for worst farm system in baseball. Um, They really didn't have much. Then they went out and they made a a number of trades, uh, you know, with Christian Yelich and Giancarlo Stanton and others. And I was critical at the time. I'm still critical. I I thought they should have gotten more at the time for what those guys were worth. Um you know, uh, Marcelo Zuna was another one, um, you know, and they got some pieces that didn't, you know, most of a lot of those guys have graduated off their list. But if you go back to the start of last season, which doesn't even give them credit, they're number one, and we're not even giving them credit for Sixto Sanchez, who they acquired two months before last season began in the GT Real Muto trade. But in the last two years, I think they've had two really, really strong drafts uh, a year ago. They got J.J. Blade with the fourth overall pick. He led NCAA Division I with 27 home runs. They got a couple other quality outfielders, Cameron Meisner, Peyton Burdick, in that draft. This year they went all pitching. 
They got Max Meyer with the number three overall pick. He, I, I thought, had the best overall stuff in this draft class. I think he's going to be quick to the big leagues. And they went on to get guys like Dax Fulton, Kyle Nicholas, and Zach McCambly, and Jake Eater. They got Evan Fitter, who was another pitcher they got last year. And they traded midseason last year. Uh, you know, and they gave up value to get value. They gave up Zach Gallen, Gallen in a deal to Diamondbacks to get Jazz Chisholm. They gave up Nick Anderson to the Rays in a deal to get Jesus Sanchez. But they've acquired in the last year that, that that's four top 100 prospects, not even giving them credit for Sixto Sanchez, and nobody else has more than two. And, and they've added to their depth as well. So, um, you know, Marlins are farm system. I actually write about. I, I had not done that before last year, um, and even since the start, like like the way we've measured this, when we were doing it last going into last season, it was an okay farm system, and now it just looks a lot lot stronger. The Padres, we mentioned, ranked number three on the farm system rankings, and that despite the fact that they made, uh, I think they traded seven of their top 30 prospects. They made the only trade that included a top 100 prospect uh, in this uh, trade deadline, at this trade deadline, and that was Taylor Trammell, and Jonathan had a chance to catch up with him. Uh, we will listen to that interview in just a minute, but first, a word from our sponsor. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Swing ground ball right side base in. One run is in. Reed rumbling around third. He'll come in. And Taylor Trammell, a two-run single. Pitch on the way, and this one drilled by Trammell. Way back in center. Back is Kelnick at the wall and gone. Taylor Trammell bangs it off the batter's eye. And Trammell rips one. Deep right field. Casey going back. He's at the wall. Gone! Taylor Trammell, a go-ahead grand slam in the top of the ninth inning. The swing of the year. He bounces up and down down the third baseline. He stomps on home plate. And the Saad Poodles take a 5-3 lead in the ninth inning. Those are some highlights last year from Taylor Trammell in 2019. Feels like a long time ago, but we're really happy uh, to welcome into the Pipeline podcast our friend uh, Taylor Trammell. And before we kind of dig into it, Taylor, there's a, a little bit of video we saw that we wanted to, we wanted to play for you uh, and, and get your reaction from. So here it is. My name is pronounced Trammell. 
it stinks because there's a Hall of Famer, the same last name as me, and he pronounces it Trammel. So I just got the bad end of the stick. I tell my favorite part of all that was like, <sighs> how many times have you had to explain that your last name is Trammell? Oh my goodness, this is a lot daily, um, especially you know being on a new team again. It's a lot of times it's hey there goes Taylor Trammell. I'm like it's Trammell, but you know I I got a chance to actually I got a chance to meet uh, Alan Trammell uh, in 2018, and I think that was one of the coolest experiences of all like. For me personally, just to meet him and, you know, him just being just so nice and genuine to me, I think that was one of the coolest experiences of uh, probably my life, really. Um, but yeah, it does think that he pronounces it Trammel. And everybody in the baseball world knows that one name as one way until I just came around and said, nope, it's not that. <laughs> We changed it. I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned you know another team. It's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you today. I mean, it's always good to talk to you, uh, but you, you were in this rare experience of getting traded two years in a row at the trade deadline. So I know the first time it can be a, a bit of your world's turned upside down. Uh, you understand how it works now. The world is upside down with everything that's been going on. But take us through what the this experience was like in terms of finding out about the trade and having to figure out how to get from the Padres alternate site in San Diego to the Mariners alternate site in, in Tacoma. Yeah. So for me, it was um, the first, so backtrack to last year in 2019, I got traded and I got traded mid -ga mid game. So there was not really any time for me to like, like think or anything like that. It was like, Hey, boom, you just got traded. See ya. And I'm like, Oh my goodness! Like, what's going on? I had no idea what was like, what to expect. I didn't hear anything from anybody. Uh, only person I really was communicating with my was with my agent, and I'm just like, what's going on? And I ended up this year. Uh, I actually kind of had an idea going. Uh, not really the day of. I had an idea of what kind of what could happen, um, possibilities that could happen, and it was. Uh, you know, it was, it was different. I ended up getting, well, from when I got traded, um, the next day, I went and got my stuff. And then I, I drove from, uh, they got me a SUV. I drove to Sandy from San Diego to LA because they were playing the angels. And I, uh, had to do my testing again and they had a fairly quick test. And so I just sat in the dugout and watched the game and, uh, watched the game they won and so I ended up uh, flying back with the the big league club and I thought that was really cool and then uh, from there uh, we flew back and I came out here to Tacoma so you're, you know you're in the dugout you fly back with them at any point you want to be like I, I can stick around you know I'm, I'm happy to stay yeah I, I told some people that I'm like they were like you know a whole bunch a lot of guys were asking like hey so we're, like are you here I'm like no 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 I gotta go to Tacoma but you know it, it would be nice to be here you know, I looked at like their little their uh, their spread and everything like that, and I was like, "Yeah, I could I could get used to this." So I thought that was uh, really awesome. And it stinks I didn't get to get. Well, I should have got like one of those like plastic bags and like took everything with me. You know, <laughs> that's what I should have done. 
You should have. Well, you know, hopefully you'll get the chance to get that spread again soon for for real and not for, you yeah. know, not just in a, in a in a flyby. But let's talk a little bit about where you are uh, because you know we haven't seen you play baseball in, in quite some time. But you know, you're coming off a, a 2019, and we've talked about it was was definitely up and down. But you finished really well. You had a, a really strong showing in spring training before the the shutdown, and then you know we don't really know what happened you know, to you after how do you feel that you've been performing as much as there you know there's competition in the alternate site camps uh, you know were you able to carry over what you were doing in, in big league camp with the Padres during this this time waiting for for the first call up and, and now of course the trade so we ended up going uh, the quarantine everything like that and then uh, I don't know if it's spring training 2.0 or summer camp I don't know which way to call it but I'll say spring training 2.0 uh, there were a lot of things I uh, I needed to work on, um, especially like not really playing at all, not really doing much in that time. Uh, I really had to like figure out, like figure out everything again um, because I'm just, you're doing the same thing over and over again. You're not sure when you're going to play and it takes a toll on you on all honesty. And I ended up uh, going there in eh, average Average, not really where I wanted to be, um, you know, competing and stuff like that. And then we get to our alternate site. And that was when I got a chance to uh, actually get to a guy who uh, who really has not just my baseball career, but in my life has changed, like changed me, uh, has impacted my life a lot. Uh, and that's Johnny Washington. Uh, I got a chance to be with Johnny for however long we were out there. And Honestly, I feel really good. Um, the at bats that I was uh, that I was taking, uh, they were solid at bats. Um, I felt comfortable. I felt like uh, I was doing damage. Um, I I don't really know like the stats or anything like that. I think there was one point he sent me like stats, and it was like a uh, I think I was hitting like three thirty something um, with like I think I ended up having like six or seven home runs during the time. Uh, just driving the ball, getting my pitch, and just honestly being the, the best person that I can be. And I said this in another uh, in another another interview. Uh, I got a chance to honestly talk to him, and he was he was very honest with me. You know, he looked at my swing. He, he talked to me, and honestly, I was just just being honest with him. I said, "Hey, look, what do you what do you see out of me, man?" He pretty much told me he was like, "You're you're a big guy that plays small right now, but we're gonna change that." And that was probably, I want to say, in late June. And I was like, first I, at first I was kind of just like, okay. I was like, get it. And then I kind of thought, and I was like, he's being honest with me. He's not just saying that, you know, because that nobody's ever told me anything along those lines. And he said, we're going to get you there. And he said, I'm going to just help you and guide you, but you're going to put in the work. And so, um, like right now, I've, I feel great. Uh, the things that we have been working on, the things that we have uh, been, the long days, the phone conversations, the extra work, the early work, anything and everything that we have done, uh, he's been there with me along the ride. And I feel right now just with my swing as – a baseball player, not just with my swing, but as a baseball player, I feel free. Um, 
I just feel like a different player right now. That's, that's exciting to hear. I'm adjusting my, my fantasy baseball projections for you. At least 25 homers in your rookie year now. Because <laughs> you, know, you played smaller before. Um, yeah. You know, you, you're going from, you know, one organization, which is known as having one of the, if not the best farm systems in the Padres, uh, you know, maybe weakened ever so slightly because they keep sending guys to the big leagues, to another one, which is only getting better and better in the Seattle Mariners. What did you know uh, about the the Mariners, you know, as you're sort of heading to it? And what have you, what have you been able to glean so far? Uh, you know, there are some talented young outfielders in, in that system now along with you. Yeah, I've, I've actually had a chance to meet those guys. I've, I've met a lot of them uh, even before I came over here. Uh, just talking uh, purely prospects um, and guys in the outfield. I, I'm, I grew not grew up, but um, I got I know uh, Kyle. I know Kalu, uh, Kyle Lewis. I know him. I uh, got a chance to meet uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, last year. Actually, we met in the parking lot in Peoria. Um, he was going toward to the field, and I was leaving the field uh, after the season. So uh, that was a good chance, and I got a chance to meet him. And by far, one of the better human beings uh, in baseball he's unbelievable uh he's wise beyond his years and he's just a great kid and he's extremely smart I think that a kid his age um he told me I think he learned uh he started to learn speak English like four years ago I think that's so impressive I think guys who are able to be bilingual uh in that short amount of time I think that's so impressive, man. It blows my mind whenever I hear guys talk and they have conversations with us uh, in English, and it makes us feel comfortable, but I know it can't be that comfortable for them. And I think that that is an unbelievable uh, trait to have, and kudos to him. And I got a chance to meet Jared, uh, along with a lot of other guys, Braden Bishop, um, Jake Frey. I was with these guys uh, today, um, and – you know, a Deloche as well. So uh, I'm, I'm probably just, you know, skimming the surface on how many guys we have here, but uh, I got a chance to meet those guys and I know them. We, we make each other better. Um, I think that's the, the, the bottom line of everything. Uh, obviously it's competition. Obviously there's uh, everybody wants to be up there. And that's a given. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we all have the same mindset of we want to get each other better because at the end of the day, we want to win. Nobody wants to be on a losing team. That, that's just obvious for everything. We all have fun with the game. We all play loose. We all play free. And when you lose, it's just not as fun. It's, I mean, it's, the, it's a given. So that was very fun, the chance that I got to meet those guys. And even all guys across the organization that I know – uh, it was a great chance for me to uh, meet them or, you know, see them again and be teammates with those guys. I didn't even think about the fact that you were in the same spring training facility. Um, spring training <laughs> feels like 4 million years ago and, yes. and you only spent one spring training there, but at least you'll know how to get there, you know, for, for, <laughs> for, uh, for next spring. So that's a good thing. And yeah, Julio and, and Jared Kelnick were the two that really, pop to mind but then you see what Kyle Lewis is doing and you see you think you know you do the math and yes people do some crazy shifting but I haven't seen a four-man outfield 
Um, so that's where the competition part probably comes into play in terms of figuring out, you know, who's going to play where, but that I suppose that's a bridge you cross once you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, to close on a, on a more serious note um, with, with you, Taylor, because you, you and I have traded messages and things like that. We're, we're at a moment in our, in our nation's history where there's a lot going on uh, across the board. Uh, we've, we've touched on the pandemic a little bit and how it's impacted baseball, but it's also shined a, a greater light on, on a lot of the inequalities and inequities in, in, in our country. And I think that's filtered down to baseball. And there have been a lot of players who have been speaking out in different ways. I know that you've not shied away from saying things on social media when you felt it appropriate. And it's interesting you, you mentioned uh, some of the guys that you're playing with. Braden Bishop has been extremely vocal, uh, which I think is, is important, but you know, you're not an established guy in the big leagues. Maybe you don't have the same kind of platform that some of these other players have who have been so vocal, but you know, where, how do you see where you fit in, you know, as a player of color coming up to the big leagues in this moment where it, it, it this has been so much, thankfully been a part of, of, of the conversation. Yeah. So for me, it is, it's, it's what I lived through. And uh, I'd be lying if I were to tell you I didn't think about, you know, certain things to say uh, along the lines of just, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not establishing the big leagues. You know, I have I don't have time there. I don't, you know, I'm not like uh, some of these guys that uh, who are established, who are, um, you know, I would say face some of the faces of baseball, you know, I look at guys like Amir Garrett, uh, Tim Anderson, Dexter Fowler, D Gordon, you look at all these guys and it's like, you know, I'm not where they are. Um, and I, I really thought a lot about it and it took some time for me to honestly just think about it. Um, take time to actually make sure that what I'm saying is, uh, what is true to me and what is actually going on in the world. And at the end of the day, I really just said, if I can impact one person's life um, that could change the way they view me, the way they view how other people are treated, that's a win for me. And so I, I, I understood that I, I understand that I have a, a fairly decent amount of uh, followings on my social media. If I can help those guys who are on the fence of like, we don't understand what you guys are talking about. We don't understand why um, this black lives matter uh, thing is a thing. Why you guys are honestly tired and upset. We don't understand it. If I can just explain it to them, I think that's, that's getting more out of it. I don't ever like to just go off of things uh, based on pure emotion. I like to think things through for the most part and make sure that people understand what I go through, uh, what the guys who I'm around, the people who they, uh, who they praise, who they look at every single day on their TV screens. If they didn't play these sports, if they didn't, um, if they weren't where they are right now, you guys would see them a little bit differently or not if you, not if you per se, but certain other people might see them differently. And I want people to understand is 
it's not just me. It's not just, like I said, Dexter Fowler. It's not just uh, all these guys that, you know, I named off. It's the people who are supposedly people say they're not important or they're irrelevant or just certain things like that. I just wanted to make what I have gone through in my life, uh, what I've seen, what I have uh, gone through. Those things are the things I want to bring light to so people can understand what is going on in this country and in this world. We could spend hours on this topic uh, and, you know, I look forward to you continuing to use your voice, Taylor, as you always have, um, you know, and for that platform to grow once you do get to the big leagues. I hope it happens soon. Um, the powder blue looked good on you. Uh, so uh, hopefully you'll get to, to wear that uh, soon. And, uh, you know, you've, you've handled all this so well, you know, getting treated twice is, is a lot. And uh, let you, we'll let you go and go back to focusing on uh, getting to know your new organization and showing them, uh, showing them what you can do. Taylor, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. All right. Our thanks to Taylor Trammell for joining us. And guys, we always love to talk to Taylor. He's uh, really, I think, one of the great personalities uh, coming up in the game. And Jonathan, I know you always really enjoy talking to him. Yeah, I was kind of... Uh... It's kind of glad he got traded just to give us an excuse to to interview him again. But he, I mean, he's so uh, it, it's a joy for an interview because you can ask a question and he gives incredibly long and thoughtful answers. Um, you know that belie his his years and even just his life experience. And uh, you know, I, I love the idea of watching him and Julio Rodriguez playing with each other. Uh, just uh, in in terms of the the energy and the personalities there. Um, I do want to see the Mariners work out some sort of four-man outfield. Uh, maybe Trammell can play short field. Uh, I don't know how they, you know, why not with all the shifting? But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, you know, he, he seems very confident, Taylor does, in, in terms of the, the the corner he feels he's turned as a player. And and I was glad to sort of finish things off uh, by by being able to talk to him about what's going on in the country because he's he has been someone who has as you would might expect uh very very thoughtful on social media in terms of talking about uh matters of of social justice and inequality and again he's 22 years old we forget about because i feel like we've been talking about him as a prospect for a very long time uh since he was drafted out of high school uh but he is mature beyond his years and he still has plenty of time to develop uh, as, as a player. And I'm really excited to see, you know, once he breaks through and try to find a way to break into a very crowded group of young and talented outfielders in Seattle. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he's just a joy to talk to. I think Jonathan, I think you and I both interviewed him in back-to-back spring trainings. He was the Reds. I think you had Reds camp one year and I had it the next and he might have been 19 when you talked to him and 20 yep. when I talked to him. And I remember talking to him. I think I talked to him for an hour. I mean, I had much more stuff that we just we started just talking about life in general, not just baseball. And I, I do think uh, I, the, the encouraging part to me, you know, as we've talked about, I mean, he struggled some last year. Uh, I, I was pleased because he is a guy who's who's very easy to root for. Um, I was pleased that he felt like he, he's seen some things that are going to help him you know, grow and get better as a player. And, and, you know, you were talking about 
social justice, I, I really do think that, you know, as his platform increases, as he becomes established in the big leaguers, it would not, I, I think he's going to be one of baseball's leaders in that regard. You know, he, he talked about, you know, other guys have a bigger platform than he does right now because he's, he's a minor leaguer, but he, he's just such a thoughtful guy um, who, who you really, you, who you really root for. And uh, it is going to be fun watching those outfields. Now, fortunately they have the DH Jonathan. So I think we can get by without the short fielder and we can, I don't know, stick Kyle Lewis at DH or something, but um, it, it's going to be fun. And uh, I, I did, uh, I did a Mariners pregame radio show over the weekend and I was telling their announcers, you're going to absolutely love having this guy. Him and Julio Rodriguez are going to be, be so much fun. You know, Jared Kelnick's very serious. Maybe they'll get Jared to smile a little bit more. But um, he's a it, good it, interview, though. You no, know, he is a good interview. Yeah, but he's just you know, as we've talked about. I mean, Jared is 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 focused on you know being basically the best player he can be. I think twenty four seven. So I, I think maybe they'll loosen him up a little bit too. But it, it it's a lot of you know. I know it's not been a a great year to be a, a Mariners fan, but uh, there's another team. Uh, and they had one of the most improved farm systems as well that I think is going to be a lot better in a couple of years. All right, guys, let's move on now and talk about the hottest rookies in Major League Baseball. So this is a story that we've been doing every other week where we look at just the strictly the hottest players over the past week. And then in the alternating weeks, we're looking at the uh, top rookies over the course of the full season. And this week was, I thought, pretty interesting because we had, uh, you know, when we've done these stories, a lot of the names have, have repeated over and over because these rookies have established themselves as some of the best in the game. But this week we had several names uh, appearing for the first time on this list, including at the very top of the list in Randy Arozarena, uh, the Rays. He was followed by Devin Williams, Brewers, a name that we've talked about over and over because he's just been so devastating out of the Brewers bullpen and Keegan Aiken of the Orioles uh, first time appearing on the list, Joey Bart of the giants, who I think is someone that we thought we'd be talking about a lot, but got off to a slow start, but he uh, had a good week. Willie Castro of the tigers, key Brian Hayes, who just made his major league debut over the past uh, week. Tristan McKenzie of the Indians, who has been outstanding in his first couple of starts. Andres Jimenez of the Mets, Dean Kramer of the Orioles, and Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers. But guys, uh, Randy Arozarena, really interesting, I think. A guy who you know, was signed by the Cardinals, didn't get uh, much of a chance there. But when he did last year, uh, was really, really good. He had that outstanding season between AA and AAA. Uh, and, then this, and then was traded in the uh, Libertor trade. So the Rays, you know, giving up an elite pitching prospect to get him. And uh, then he tested positive for COVID and has just started playing and has really uh, made an immediate impact. You sound so wistful as a Cardinals fan, Jason, setting all that up. I, know. I feel badly for you. But you won't feel badly when Libertor gets to the big leagues. But yeah, Rosarina, it's been kind of an interesting guy you know, ever since he signed. Uh, and it's shown in glimpses in the minors you know, what he was capable of doing. Now he's getting a chance to do it. I mean, not only in the big leagues, but for, you know, for a team that's in in first place uh, in the AL East and planning to go to the playoffs and hitting in the middle of the lineup. And he added another homer yesterday, even though he didn't start the game. I mean, they're going to have to find out bats for him uh, because he is doing everything. I mean, what, he went seven for 14 and three of those seven hits were homers. Um, 
you know, so uh, for a team that was already playing really, really well to get a, a, an offensive boost like this from him, uh, it almost seems unfair given the, you know, what we said about the Rays' number one farm system. And this is a guy who didn't really figure that much in to, uh, you know, into where they place on on a farm system rank, but it does speak to the ridiculous depth uh, that they have because he, you know, technically he's no longer a prospect, uh, but he's still a young player just now establishing himself in the, in the big leagues. So uh, after Rosarina on the list, uh, I mentioned Devin Williams, Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer, a pair of Orioles pitchers. Yeah, you know, it's they're both guy. You know, Agan's a guy they drafted a couple of years ago. Dean Kramer is a guy they picked up in the, in the Manny Machado trade. Um, you know, and they both had you know very nice weeks. Obviously, that's why they're on their list. You know, Keegan Aiken had a, I think gave up uh, no earned runs and two starts. Dean Kramer gave up I believe it was six innings, one hit ball against the Yankees. Gave up a run. And, you know, if you're the Orioles, look, I mean, this year is obviously, you know, even though they've kind of hung in the expanded playoff race longer than expected. I mean, this is really, again, it's a rebuilding year. You're, you're trying to get better for, for the future. The, you know, you're hoping that the the anchors, the, the guys at the front of your future rotation are Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. But you're going to need guys behind them. And Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer are guys who, who probably project more into the back half of a rotation. Um, but this is really encouraging to see them come up and pitch as well as they did. I mean, it's, you know, for the Orioles, I mean, granted, it won't be a full season, but, you know, you have another three weeks. You could probably get these guys another, you know, four starts or so apiece. Um, and then hopefully next year get them close to a full season. And, and then maybe if things go according to plan, you know, you're ready to contend in 2022 and, and they're ready to nail down some spots in the back of the rotation. So I'd say it's a very positive development uh, for the Orioles. I mean, obviously this is just one week, but getting those guys, breaking them into the rotation and going from there. I mean, you know, guys like, you know, Tommy Malone, who's their opening day starter, who they since traded, you know, Tommy Malone and Asher Wojciechowski aren't really the future of the Orioles rotation. It's Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer who who they're hoping will be playing key roles when they're ready to win again. And he is, of course, the only prospect ever to speak Hebrew on the Pipeline podcast. So, uh, you know, that's an important note to, to throw in there. Uh, the first Israeli citizen to sign with a major league organization. His parents are Israeli and moved to California. Um, but uh, what really struck me with his outing was his command. Uh, because that had escaped him a little bit late last year, although you know we saw him in the fall league throw very very well. Uh, but he you know, really relies on fastball command and his breaking ball, uh, and both of those things were really really good. I mean, he was pretty much putting the ball where where the catcher was setting up, uh, painting the black. You know, his fastball's got good movement. He's not a huge, huge velocity guy. So if he can command his, his lively fastball like that and continue to throw his breaking ball for strikes, I think he's going to be just, uh, he's going to be just fine. And, you know, you know, he's not a top of the rotation kind of guy, but he is a solid, I think number three or four starter that they, you know, they got in the Machado trade. And Joey Bart, number four on our list of the hottest rookies of the past week, uh, Giants backstop who, guys, I mentioned we'd be talking about him more 
uh, and positively when he got the call up. He doubled in each of his first three games, uh, but then went through like a two for 23 spell or something like that. He finished August uh, hitting 161 with an OPS of 515, uh, but he really turned it on last week, and I think you know, now we're starting to see a little bit of a uh, little bit more of the Joey Bart that we expected to see. Yeah, and we've talked about this. I mean, uh, it seems like one of the recurring themes of the podcast has been, you know, I, I think this has probably been about as difficult an environment to make your big league debut in as there re- really ever is going to be. I mean, there, there's it's always difficult. I mean, it's the best level of competition in the world. I mean, there's there's nerves involved with a lot of guys. But I mean, you're, you're talking about guys jumping from. Alter, you know, basically not playing in, in a- April, you know, having spring training shut down in March, you're not playing in April and May, you kind of get going a little bit again in June. And then, you know, you have summer camp in July, but there's no games. You haven't been testing yourself on a daily basis against any kind of competition. Um, and I, you know, we, we've seen guys like Joe Adele and others struggle. And I do think that the learning curve has been even steeper. And, and in Bart's case, you know, adding to his degree of difficulty, is, you know, the National League seems like nobody wants to make the playoffs. So the Giants are, are surprisingly in the playoff race. And, you know, he plays catcher where there's all kinds of responsibilities besides being able to hit that they come along with the position. So even though he struggled, I mean, he has been an upgrade. I mean, this was a team that was trying to contend literally with Chadwick Trump and Tyler Heineman as their two catchers um, before they turned to Joey Bart. And, and now, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, Joey has power. He draws some walks, hasn't done too much of that recently. There is some swing and miss. So I, I don't think we ever expected Joey Bart was going to come in and, and hit 320. But I, I do think if he can hit, you know, for occasional power, you know, decent average, decent on base percentage, and, and you know, kind of handle the job behind the plate, which he's done so far, that, that's a huge upgrade. And, you know, I, I don't know how you project the National League playoff race because it's, it's so goofy right now. But, I mean, if he can keep doing that, I mean, that's going to help the Giants potentially make the playoffs. All right, guys, another name on this list that jumps out to me is Tristan McKenzie. Uh, here's a guy who was ranked as high as number 24 overall on our top 100 list a couple of years ago. Uh, but due to injuries, has fallen off to the point that he's no longer on the top 100 at all and is actually just number 10 on the Indians list after being their number one prospect entering last season. Um, in his first three starts, he's been outstanding. He struck out 10 in his big league debut, allowed just one run on two hits over six innings against the Tigers. Then he held his own against the Cardinals in his second start. Not quite as impressive. Four innings, two earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. Then he came back last week against the Royals and threw six shutout innings on just three hits with six strikeouts and no walks. So here's a guy who seems like he's showing us what we thought he was capable of when we were ranking him as one of the, one of the top uh, right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. It's, uh, it's a crazy story, really, because he had kind of – obviously not completely forgotten because he was, you know, still in the upper part of the Indians list. But uh, this is a guy we had in our top 100 for a while, pitched in the futures game. And, and then, you know, because of injuries, we kind of fell off the the map for a little bit. And because of the craziness of this year, you know, normally we would have been tracking how he was doing in the minor leagues, but we, we kind of heard neither, you know, hadn't heard anything about him. And then suddenly, Oh, here he is in the big leagues. And he's dominating. And I like the fact that, you know, he struggled a little bit against the Cardinals, uh, even though the Indians won that game. Uh, 
and then came back and made some adjustments and was just as dominant in start number three and be able to go, you know, six innings and two of his three starts uh, has been really big for, for the Indians. I mean, he hadn't thrown a competitive pitch in two years when he got called up to the, to the big leagues. So, uh, it, you know, you can't say that it was completely out of nowhere uh, because he was obviously well-regarded, uh, but because of the injuries, uh, you know, and I think the injuries combined with his slight frame, uh, th- there will be questions about his durability until he shows he can do it for a full season. But what he's showing right now is what all the fuss was about coming out of the draft and when you know when he was thought of as one of the better pitching prospects in the game. So it's exciting to see him hopefully turn the corner from uh, from the injuries that kept him off the mound for so long and to see him do it for a, a playoff caliber team uh, you know, is, uh, has been a really fun, fun story to watch. I'm just going to chime in real quick, Jonathan. I mean, the other amazing part about this is <laughs> if Zach Plezak and Mike Clevenger don't go AWOL in Chicago and get sent to alternative camp after, you know, jeopardizing the team, we may not even see Tristan McKenzie pitch this year because they didn't have a spot in the rotation for him before that. They called him up out of necessity and and he's responded in a huge way. So it's uh, – I mean, that, that's just another crazy part of the story too. Another rookie on this list, Tony Gonsolin, and I think you know we've, we've got to talk about him a little bit just based on what he's done over this entire season now and even really dating back to last year. Um, but this year now, five starts, a 0.76 ERA, 25 strikeouts in 23 and two-thirds innings, of 0.72 and he did it again in his last start uh, against the Rockies six innings one earned run three hits eight strikeouts yeah you know I I mean I say this a lot I'm gonna sound like a broken record but you know we were talking before about how the Dodgers had such a consistently good farm system and one of the reasons they have is even though it's harder to keep a farm system going when you're winning they do a great job of getting unheralded guys and turning them into big league contributors. I mean, you just look at their their roster right now. You know, you got you know Zach McKinstry's been up. Uh, you know, Matt Beatty's played a role. Uh, you know, the, you know Caleb Ferguson was a low round pick. You know, they're, they're hitting on a lot of these guys. And another one of them was Gonsolin was a, was a ninth round pick as a senior at St. Mary's in California. Yeah, he was a good college. He was a two way player actually in college. He was a good one. He led the team in hitting as a sophomore. Steals and saves as a junior, saves again as a senior, and this is a guy who was your your classic, you know, senior sign money saver, so you could shift money around the bonus pool. They signed Tony Gonsolin for twenty five hundred dollars, and the crazy thing is they do they have a I think they have a way of looking at guys and seeing things that they think they can make guys better because Gonsolin he was pitching, you know, he was a two way guy, so that obviously you know saps you some on the mound. But in college, he was kind of like an 88 to 92 mile an hour guy. And by the end of his first full pro season, he was hitting 100 miles an hour in relief. And so the next year they said, ah, let's make him a starter and see what happens. And he kept pretty much kept that stuff. I mean, he's 93, 98 as a starter. His best pitch may be his splitter, which is just devastating. He's got power to his curveball and slider. He throws strikes. You know, he's given up, you know, what, two earned runs and five starts this year. And, you know, again, I mean, this is a guy 
that, you know, anybody could have had. I mean, he was a $2,500 signing. And now, you know, he's got a 076 ERA, you know, pitching every fifth day in the, in the Dodgers rotation. And uh, just, you know, amazing job of scouting and player development. And by Tony Gonsolin, uh, you know, he's, you know, been, he was good last year, like you said, Jason, in, in the big leagues as well. Um, a guy who I think we've said before has never quite made our top 100 prospect list. He was always kind of on the fringes of it. And, you know, I guess if we go back five years from now and do a list of best players who weren't on our top 100 list, Tony Gonsolin might be on that list if he keeps doing this. I'm going to put that story down on our budget for five years from now. I'll put, I'll put it on my Google calendar so I remember as well. So you, you mentioned Gonsolin never quite cracking the top 100 uh, <clears throat> four guys who are on our top 100 list and made debuts over the past week. Key Brian Hayes, Pirates, Jazz Chisholm, uh, the Marlins, Luis Camposano, uh, the Padres, and Clark Schmidt of the Yankees. And uh, I think of those four, well, Camposano uh, homered in his debut, as did uh, Key Brian Hayes. But of those four, Hayes has really uh, been the one who has uh, had a good run of it so far. And I believe he has three, let's see, three multi-hit games in his first week in the big leagues. Um, and showed off the wheels a little bit with a triple of, a few days ago that I know got a lot of people talking. And I think that's, you know, a tool of his that people probably don't know really exists like it does. Uh, so much focus on his defense and will he hit, uh, you know, how much power will come, but uh, he's got a 55 run grade too. stole 27 bases in the minors uh, three years ago. Uh, so far has looked like the complete package. Yeah. He, he kind of instantaneously became the best player on the pirates um, just in terms of all around game. Uh, and, and, and also just in the way he's performed so far in a very small sample size also, but uh, you know, you mentioned the triple, He's not a like a, a burner. He, you know, fifty five is you know above average, but he's such a good base runner. Um, and you know the power. Like his first two hits, he had in his debut, he completely you know hit a BB down the left field line for a double, and then the homer uh, looked like it was about three feet off the ground, and then it was over the center field fence. I mean, it just absolutely ripped it. But the play that really stands out to me, and just in terms of, I think, who he is as a player, uh, and he looked good defensively, made a mistake not knowing how many outs uh, there were, but made a nice play on on the play through home with two outs. But the play that really stands out to me is when he was on third and there was a, a little, you know, a little dribbler of a, of a ground ball and he ran on contact. And the combination of, the lead he took, the break he got, and the slide he made just, I think, shows you how fundamentally sound the player Key Brian Hayes is. And you could say whatever you want about growing up around the game. His dad is Charlie Hayes. Uh, but that's a part of his game that people haven't gotten to see. Uh, you know, And he, he would have been up long, long ago, uh, I think, in this season if he hadn't tested positive for, for COVID. So he was, uh, you know, behind and then trying to play catch up getting two maybe three at bats in whatever simulated game they were able to play in Altoona at their alternate site uh, but I think everyone knew it was just a matter of, of when and not if 
and now he's showing why everyone was excited to get him to uh, to the big leagues and just you know it gives them the ability uh, you know instead of moving guys in and out at third and not really being able to find a, a solution uh, that this is the guy you can pencil into the lineup in that spot for you know the foreseeable future three other guys uh, in our top 100 list that made their debuts over the past week jazz Chisholm Luis Camposano and Clark Schmidt Jim I know a couple of those guys are from teams that uh, you are the the primary owner of uh, in Jazz Chisholm and Clark Schmidt. Uh, I'll let you take your pick. Who do you want to talk about here? Um, well, neither has done a whole lot, so I think I can summarize them both quickly uh, without taking too long. Um, you know, both teams are kind of, you know, around 500. Yankees are probably definitely going to make the playoffs. Marlins shooting for it. You know, Chisholm is going to get a chance to – to play regularly at second base. He's off to a one for 12 start. So far, the highlight highlight of his career has been, he made a nice running over the shoulder catch in kind of short center field, and then celebrated with some Sour Patch kids in the dugout. So that's kind of been his career highlight. And Clark Schmidt kind of got a tough spot to make his big league debut. And he came in with two runners on base in the fifth inning as a reliever. He's been a starter throughout his, his minor league career, and that'll be his long-term role. Gave up three hits, none especially hit hard. Looked a little bit better when he pitched last night, so for now they're using him out of the bullpen. Although with the way their their rotation's been trending, wouldn't be surprised if, if he got a start before too long. All right, you're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Again, I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And Jonathan, uh, you recently had a great opportunity to talk to five Black scouts, all of whom have been doing this for a long time. Um, go ahead and run through the five of them who joined you. Chip Lawrence is the Padres national cross checker, has been in baseball for 20 years now. Uh, Jaron Madison, Cubs special assistant to the president, 19 years in the game. Darren Johnson, the twin senior advisor of scouting, 27 years. Steve Williams, Pirates pro scouting director. 33 years in the game, and James Bump Merriweather, the D-backs national cross-checker, 28 years in the game. So five guys who have been doing this for a very long time and are probably, you know, despite the fact that they've been doing this for decades, seeing a time right now unlike any other, obviously in the world, specifically in baseball, and you had a chance to sit down with them and have a very long and important conversation. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, listen, Jim can attest to this. We love talking to scouts and, and most of the time we, we, we end up, you know, hearing stories and talking about baseball and guys on, on the field. Uh, but we have talked about real life and things like this. This, you know, took it to a, an entirely different level. I wanted to sort of take this moment sort of like I did when I talked to Taylor Trammell, where, uh, what's happening in the light that's being shined on on racial injustice and inequity in this country it, it filters to all all aspects of life and and particularly baseball you know which you know once upon a time sort of led the way uh you know there are a lot of people who give baseball a little bit of credit for pushing the civil rights movement forward uh when they integrated baseball you know much later than it should have been, but nonetheless. 
So, you know, being able to have the opportunity to talk to these guys with so much time in the game uh, about the issues in terms of lack of black players for them to evaluate uh, to their own advancement, you know, career advancement and, and seeing people of color reach uh, levels of, of decision-making and, you know, and the general manager's chair and things of that nature. So we, we kind of talked about all those things. Uh, we talked about, you know, Joe Adele had been really uh, forthcoming uh, in terms of how black players have often been evaluated, uh, you know, and for me, I, I could have gone on for another six, uh, six hours uh, to talking to them. And like with any of these conversations, I feel that it just needs to be part of, uh, of a continuation. It can't be like, all right, we talked about it. We're done. Uh, I think that those conversations need to keep happening. And these guys all have, such incredible experience. Um, and I think the one thing that really, really stood out to me is that there, there's no bitterness really uh, among this group, even though without a doubt, you know, their ability to advance was, was more difficult uh, only because uh, of, of the color of their skin. And you, you mentioned Chip Lawrence, he's been doing this for 20 years and, uh, and he's, he was the, the neophyte, the sort of younger guy, you, you know, Jaron Madison has been doing it for around the same time, but he, you know, he's managed to be a scouting director and a farm director. And that's, that's rare. But the fact that Chip Lawrence has not gotten a real chance to, to sit in the director's chair yet, uh, I think speaks to the work that still needs to, to happen in baseball. So it was, it was illuminating and interesting. And uh, th- those guys, all showed their passion and love for the game and, and wanting to be able to be part of, of changing it for the better. I thought it was a tremendous piece, Jonathan, and, and, and executed very well. And, it, you know, the one of the things that, that was striking, you know, listening to it, and, we, and we've talked to people about this, but I, I don't think sometimes the average fan considers this, is that, you know, we need to increase opportunities starting at the grassroots level. You know, with the with the showcase circuit, with travel ball, baseball is extremely, extremely expensive and it drives players, some players away from the game. Um, And, you know, the the guys you talk to, you know, they're they're doing some things to try to increase participation. And, you know, you look, I mean, the vast, vast majority, there are exceptions of people who work in professional baseball played the game if not professionally, at least at the college level. And the, the, you know, the more, you know, those, those, that Avenue kind of provides opportunities going forward. And and so, I mean, you know, you, you have things like the RBI program, you know, MLB started taking over showcases. I think it was, I want to say it was Chip Lawrence was talking about a, a, a event that he's kind of behind, but, you know, trying to get more participation in the game, and create opportunities, I think, is very important. And I thought your piece brought a, a lot of attention to that. That story and the entire, the, the complete uh, conversation uh, can be found on MLB.com slash pipeline. Take a look at and have a listen to that. And Jonathan, thank you for uh, bringing that to the forefront. I know that was a project that you really wanted to work on. And, and I uh, echo what, what Jim said. I thought that was extremely well done. Let's uh, move ahead. And speaking of 
scouts and scouting, let's talk a little bit about uh, the upcoming, not that it's in the near future, but the next draft, the 2021 draft. Uh, we had a, a summer showcase event over the weekend, the perfect game all-American Classic. This game typically takes place in San Diego. It was moved to Chickasaw, Bricktown Ballpark, Oklahoma City. And uh, Jonathan, I know you've had a chance to talk to some scouts about what they saw there. Yeah, and what they saw was uh, atypically a hitting heavy event. Usually the pitchers dominate. You know, think about all-star games. You know, guys go out for for an inning and they're throwing gas and uh, you know, it's tough for hitters to to catch to catch up to that, especially it's a different pitcher each time. I think because there was there's not been as much activity this summer as usual, uh, there was a little rust, and it showed with some of the pitchers they struggled with their command a little bit, and some guys really uh, really squared the ball up and and showed off their uh, not just you know things like raw power and bat speed and being able to run you know, all the things that you see at showcase events, but just really good approaches at the plate and. Um, you know, I think the guy who probably was uniformly thought to be the best player overall was Jordan Lawler, uh, who is the shortstop from Jesuit prep high school in Texas. Um, he perfect game named him their Jackie Robinson player of the year. He had uh, a couple of hits. He scored three runs. He showed a really good approach at the plate. Uh, he is uh, an outstanding runner. People think he can stay at shortstop. A um, couple people threw out a Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, comparison uh, in terms of the all-around ways that he can impact the game. So he, he is the guy who stood out the the most, um, followed probably by Alex Mooney, who was the MVP of the game. He had three hits, in a tri- including a triple, uh, good raw power. Uh, he's a shortstop from the Michigan high school ranks. Um, so th- those are just two of the guys, but uh, I have a story coming out and there are 12 p- players that I mentioned on the list. Nine of them are hitters to so just give you an idea of how things were, were skewed at this particular event. You know, what's interesting to Lawler about me, Jonathan is, you know, we've had, you know, a fairly, well, especially compared to college, I guess, fairly normal college showcase circuit. I mean, we've had to move events around some, but like guys have gotten looks at players and you've done stuff, I think, I guess Mike did the PG National kind of recap. You did East Coast Pro. I did Area Code Games. Now we have the PG All-America game. There still might be an Under Armour All-America game. There, there's, just, you know, with Baseball Factory, they're still looking at possibly holding that. So there have been looks at guys. And I, and I guess we'll have the World Wood Bat in Jupiter in October, too. My sense has been, I, I don't think there's any player who has been like, you know, clear cut, like, okay, this is the best guy in the country. But I was going to say the one of the, the constants, you know, there have been guys up and down performances, but one of the constants has been Jordan Lawler. I think even at the events, like he didn't tear up East coast pro, I mean, um, area code games. Why well, do the area code games, but everybody remarked, yeah, you know, he looked really good again. And, and I'm almost wondering, I mean, we obviously have, 10 months until the draft. I, I don't think he's kind of gotten this acclaim yet, but I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Jordan Lawler wound up being the first high school pick in the draft next year. No, that wouldn't surprise me given the all around skills, premium position. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, uh, that, that definitely can be, 
there and it's it's you know slow and steady doesn't win win the race always but he's was even when he wasn't a standout he was good uh as opposed to like being lost and then looking really good and then he had an event like this one where he was you know most people thought he was the best player on the team all right so we're going to wrap up this week's edition of the pipeline podcast with that looking ahead at the 2021 draft uh thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned next week we're back at you on wednesday